your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. Welcome to Potstirer Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. This week, I was intending to release the best of 2020 episode, but due to the events of Wednesday, January 6th, I felt it was important to talk about what's going on in our nation's history. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Irvin Johnson II. Irvin is the co-founder of Shining Otaku, a U.S.-based independent manga publisher, and he is also my brother. Thank you, Irvin, for joining me. Of course I'm going to join. I got to weigh in and give my thoughts on uh, Trump this week, obviously. We're kind of all doing that right now. So we've both been paying attention to how the lame duck period has been unfolding since Donald Trump lost in the 2020 general election to former Vice President Joe Biden. But just to give a little background, since the 2020 general election where he lost to Joe Biden, it looks like Donald Trump is rationing up the absurdity, the violence, and in general, the attacks on representative democracy. So let's kind of talk about like kind of how we got here. November 3rd, 2020. I think the big thing, big factor here is the virus, the coronavirus pandemic. Trump politicized the heck out of the pandemic. He could have done nothing and would have gotten reelected, but he just did worse than nothing. I mean, so there's that factor. But then I think related to the election specifically, he talked about mail-in ballots. He said that mail-in ballots were, they were prone to fraud and that you could cheat with mail-in ballots. And There's lots of fraud, lots of voter fraud. And I mean, and as we know, that's a myth. A lot of misinformation, like none of that is proven. None of that has any basis in fact. But he kept wanting to put that out there. And a lot of that is because kind of going back to the virus, Democrats were more likely to vote by mail because Democrats are more likely to take the virus seriously, whereas Republicans were less likely to take the virus seriously and therefore more comfortable with the prospect of voting in person. So to attack mail-in ballots, the idea is like, okay, well, states, especially states that are run by, by Republicans, the hope was that I guess it was for for them to crack down on mail-in ballots, to make it more difficult for people to obtain mail-in ballots, to vote by mail, and therefore deliver the election to Trump. The other part of it, too, is like, okay, if he can attack it well enough, if he's in in, in a situation where he ends up losing, then he could try to say that it was fraudulent. You know, we're going to get into that scenario in a second, but there's kind of a method to the madness there in terms of him saying that mail-in ballots were, you know, they're wrong, they're fraud. Jay, there's there's no way I can lose, okay? You can see my numbers. You see what's going up. They keep going up. No one has been more popular than me. I have the highest approval rating out of any president. They don't want you to know that. You know, the fake news media keeps pushing that narrative forward, saying that I am not as popular as I am, but you can clearly see it. You see my rallies. Sleepy Joe Biden. You've never seen anybody at his rallies. This has all been fake. You know, they've been lying on me since day one. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. 
These are baseless claims. These were lies. These were a bunch of BS. Okay. So the election happened. Biden won on November 3rd, but the vote count took several days because there were, there was an unprecedented number of mail-in ballots. And also because a number of swing states, especially some of these swing states that were run by Republicans, chose to wait until after the in-person ballots were counted to then count the mail-in ballots. And so it gave the illusion that, oh, Trump was ahead and then Biden just surged forward like it was magic when that isn't true. Where were they coming from? Where were they coming from? Yeah. And, oh, and that was a thing, too. So part of the issue was that so number of the swing states, those states turned blue in large part because of voters in urban areas, you know, as well as suburbs of a lot of these areas. And, you know, these were primarily votes of people of color, especially black Americans who lived in places like Detroit, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Atlanta. Essentially, what Trump was trying to do, though, which is, you know, really messed up, is that he is trying to disenfranchise black voters. So he didn't concede after the election. You know, you guys can press charges on me all you want. I have Rudy on my side. So yeah, like five dozen lawsuits um, between himself, the Republican Party, and like a number of people like Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Linwood, Jenna Ellis, uh, a number of people who were suing on his behalf. Five dozen lawsuits, all except one failed. And the one that was successful was a small procedural lawsuit during the vote count. But as far as like getting the vote overturned, everybody voted against them because there was no evidence. And these weren't just Democratic judges. These were Republican judges. These were these were even like ones that were appointed by Trump. They were just like, no, nah. even the U.S. Supreme Court didn't want to hear the case. There's massive amounts of evidence. You guys just don't want to hear it. You know, I have people coming up to me all the time telling me they voted Trump. I never heard anybody say they voted Biden. Never. So every step he failed, we get into 2021, kind of his almost last stand. He started telegraphing this in December. Okay, January 6th was the date that Congress receives the electoral votes from each state and they certify those votes. So it's pretty much supposed to be more or less a symbolic process. All they're really doing is saying, these are the votes from the proper slate of electors that represent these states. So that's really all they're supposed to do. But turned into Donald Trump's greatest supporters in Congress wanting to challenge the process, a process that takes like maybe half an hour usually. It was slated to take hours because to actually make a challenge to where they have to actually hear out the challenge, it has to be one person from both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And usually you don't get that. You might get a few people in the House at best, but you usually don't get a senator. But this time you did, like you had people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, they're both senators. And a number of others announced that they would challenge the slate of electors for specific swing states. You know, I just want to quickly remind Ted, if he's listening, you know, how his, his wife looks hideous. Appreciate him, him helping out, you know, very good. He knows how good I am, but he just needs to be reminded of that. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, 
Yeah, Ted Cruz is ridiculous because, like, yeah, you have Trump who insulted his wife, insulted his dad, and dude is just, like, with him to the very end. I'm just like, I mean, it's so ridiculously cynical. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So that was happening. And so you had January 6th that was looming. Trump was telegraphing this for pretty much a whole month, calling his supporters to the Senate in Washington. And then later on, he mentioned specifically the Capitol and inciting there to be something big on January 6th, as far as his supporters were concerned. At the same time, you had him calling the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, on January 2nd, basically threatening him, cajoling him, begging him to overturn the results in Georgia to find 11,780 votes, just enough to get him over the top against Biden. Secretary of State's office leaked the call. And that was a whole scandal in and of itself because it was like, okay, it's clear that Trump is going through all these extraordinary measures and even threatening a state official to commit fraud. There's also the backdrop here of the Georgia runoffs because in the state of Georgia, they had two U.S. senator seats that were up for election. And in Georgia, you have to get over 50% to win. And if you don't, then you have to have a runoff. And so both of the Senate races in Georgia, none of the candidates made it to 50%. And so those ended up in runoffs and the runoffs were on January the 5th. So the day before this certification in Washington. So there's a lot going on here just to kind of give you a timeline. Okay, so January 5th happened. So there are two races. There's David Perdue versus John Ossoff. And John Ossoff was the Democrat that was running. In the other race, there was Kelly Loeffler versus Reverend Raphael Warnock, who was the Democrat who was running. Both Democratic candidates, Warnock and Ossoff, won their elections. And so what that means, that's significant because what that means is that the Senate is going to be 50-50, Democrat and Republican. Because of that, and because the incoming administration is Democratic. So the vice president is the tiebreaker in the Senate. And the vice president, the incoming vice president is Kamala Harris. That effectively gives the Democrats a slim majority in the Senate. Hopefully she's not as sleepy as Joe. <laughs> uh, so, so that was the good stuff, right? Hopefully she's had a good morning cup of Joe. I think we'll, you and I will kind of get into a conversation about that in a little bit. Okay, so now we're going to get into January 6th. That was the day that Congress was looking to certify the election results in the 2020 presidential election. That was set to start at 1 p.m. Now, the crowd, Trump supporters were in the crowd that converged on Washington. So they show up to Washington. They're protesting the certification of the electoral results. They feel that Donald Trump was cheated. Even though, again, there's no, no evidence of that. But throughout this whole process, Trump repeating this idea that he was defrauded. This was the narrative that was parroted by Trump. It was parroted by a number of Trump-aligned Republicans. They used it to raise funds. They used it to garner support. They used it to really kind of gin up the base. And so these people showed up in Washington. 
the certification started at 1 p.m., but then pretty early in that process, the crowd became like more and more agitated. Then they ended up storming the Capitol building. They entered the Capitol building, trespassed into the Capitol building. A lot of these people were armed. They let in. There's a lot of vandalism. There was property stolen. They tried to get to the House reps and to the senators. The Congress people very narrowly missed the crowd. It was bad. There was violence. And then meanwhile, while this was going on in the Capitol, there were two IEDs that were planted, one at the Democratic National Convention and one at the Republican National Convention. So there's a lot of like bad stuff here because of the riots. Yeah, it was like five people that died. Four people died that day, including there was one woman who was shot while trying to enter, I believe it was the chamber for the House of Representatives. There are three other people that had an unspecified medical event. And then there was a police officer from the Capitol Police. He was bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. He was put on life support and he died the next day. So five people dead. The Capitol, which people always think of that as being so fortified, the Capitol was breached. The Capitol had been trashed. There was property stolen. Oh, yeah. Dude walked away with a podium. Yeah, dude walked away with a podium. There were three. There were at least three laptops that were stolen. One dude sat, sat in Pelosi's office and made it his home, basically, threw his legs up. Same guy stole her mail, which is a federal offense. Like, so there are a lot of bad things that were happening while that was happening. Trump was tweeting, was tweeting about it, and he was like essentially encouraging these rioters, encouraging these insurrectionists to do what they were doing. We love you. You're very special people. Well, I mean, he said that later, right? Like he came out with that later. In real time, he was tweeting encouragement to them. There was a delay between the time between this happening and the National Guard showing up. The visuals on it were shocking. That ended up delaying the certification. But then by like eight o'clock that night, they were able to get the Capitol cleared and they were able, well, they got the Capitol cleared before that. But then by eight o'clock, Congress reconvened to then go into the night certifying the election results for Biden and Harris. There's a few things I want to talk about. First of all, uh, one of the things that you, that you brought up here is, okay, so the police. Yeah, like the police let them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like on video, you see them allowing them- Taking selfies. Oh, yeah, like they-, they Chilling, having a good old time. Yeah, like they were know? out here, like they let in, they, they let in the riders, and then inside, they're, so they're tearing things up, causing all this like mayhem. So, so the Capitol Police were the ones that were there. Unlike, say, a Black Lives Matter protest or like a protest for some progressive cause, Instead of having like the National Guard out there to begin with, they just had the Capitol Police there. And yeah, they were, they let them in. And, you know, there were some of them that were taking selfies with the rioters. Essentially, Capitol Police, or at least members of the Capitol Police, were complicit in this. All right. So you have that aspect. Then you have the aspect of who are these rioters? Proud Boys were there. You had three percenters. You had a number of these other like right wing groups. Cowboys wasn't standing back and standing by anymore. Right. Like Trump basically gave them the go ahead. Trying to think. Yeah. Proud Boys, three percenters. You had the QAnon people, 
other like right-wing troll groups. And then you had police. Some of these people were police officers. There's a picture of a guy, it looked like a Tennessee police officer in tactical gear with zip ties, like the zip ties that they use to, to cuff people. You got him like in one of the congressional chambers. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In this group of rioters, you had cops, CEOs, and other heads of private companies. Mm-hmm. There were state officials. There was like a whole delegation that was there from Tennessee. Gosh, like, I think Tennessee probably brought like a whole busload of who's who to riot and to cause insurrection at the Capitol. I just kind of wonder what people thought they were about to accomplish. I'm like, what did you guys really think you're about to accomplish? Yeah. These weren't a bunch of people who were dealing with economic anxiety. These were a motley crew of white supremacist groups and police. Terrorists. Well, they were ter- they were all terrorists. That's kind of an umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. But under this terrorist umbrella was white supremacists, right-wing extremists, business people, and actual politicians and cops. And then there was a, the West Virginia representative that was there with them. This wasn't a situation where it's like, oh, the people are storming the Capitol. No, these are the haves that were storming the Capitol, <laughs> you know? Like, these were people, these were, this Call was- 45? Yeah, well, well it's called 45, but it's like the, it, this was an inside job. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I mean, so it's like, f- on that level, is an inside job. And then um, another thing I want to get into here is that when members of Congress were bunkered down, trying to hide from the crowd, they were trying to call the National Guard in Maryland and Virginia, because as you well know, like, well, D.C. isn't a state, it's a federally designated district. So you have D.C., they're surrounded by the states of Maryland and Virginia. And oftentimes, those states will bring in National Guard if there are situations that are happening in D.C. But in this situation, the members of Congress are calling the governors of these states saying, like, send the National Guard. The Capitol is being stormed, right? And the thing is, is that they can't do that unless they get permission from, like, unless they get permission from the The um, chief. Well, they they have to get permission from at least the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing, right? So I've talked about in my podcast in previous episodes about how one of the things that Trump did pretty much right after it was clear that he lost was that he basically cleaned house at the top of the Pentagon and put in, put in his guys. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to January 6th, when members of Congress were calling Virginia and they were calling Maryland, and they're like, okay, well, we'll be happy to send the National Guard, but we need to have permission from the Pentagon. And typically, this is just an easy process. They call the Pentagon. They're like, can we get permission? And they tell them, yeah, and then they send in the National Guard and it's a wrap, right? Mm-hmm. But in this case, the Pentagon didn't answer. And apparently from what the governor of Maryland was saying, they didn't answer for an hour and a half. That's crazy. You think like, that sounds all intentional. Yeah. They knew it was happening. Trump actually didn't even call the National Guard. Well, Pence did, didn't he? Didn't call in reinforcement. Yeah. My, yeah. Mike Pence did, the vice president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like an inside job. And I don't think that I'm being conspiratorial when the facts that are publicly available are saying that this is an inside job. People say, well, that's fake news. Everything can't be fake news. Everything. You know, it's like, well, dang, I'm like, well, am I supposed to believe Trump? 
Trump the only one who could tell the truth? Yeah, and that's the thing that's crazy about it. I'm like, no. Because pretty much they say, like, fake news, fake news. But then it's like... And then we hear the stuff come out of his own mouth. You right, know, it's, it's like... like so, so unless every, unless it's a deep fake Trump and y'all are seeing a whole different Trump, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Biden mentioned it. A, a number of political commentators have mentioned it. A lot of critics have mentioned it. Activists have mentioned it. I think it's... I mean, I think everybody can see at this point that essentially we live in two different Americas. If this was a Black Lives Matter rally or even any like kind of progressive cause... The National Guard would have been out full force. Think about how, like, when they had the D.C. protest for Black Lives Matter back over the summer. There's pictures of, like... Oh, you already know what it was. The National Guard were, like, on the steps. They were in full force. You're not getting anywhere near this place. I don't know. I just picture that and it'd be, like, a kid standing there, you know, with, like, a flag or something, like a little kid, you know, like a lollipop in their mouth, like, like, okay. (laughs) But yeah, and then on top of that, remember how he had peaceful protesters over the summer gassed so that he could have a photo op in front of a church with an upside down Bible. Mm-hmm. And then he was talking about, oh, the Insurrection Act for protesters over the summer. You have actual insurrectionists. And then he's all like, I love you. Oh, yeah, he's like, you know, we love you. You know, you're very special people. Go home in peace. Exactly. Okay, where's the Insurrection Act now? Where's the, mm. when the moon starts, the shooting starts? Where's that now? Like, nah, man. I, mean, I don't know. I just think it's funny when he says, you know, like, we love, I mean, I'm, I'm all for loving people, you know, regardless, right? But it's like, I think it's funny where I'm like, dang, it's not like you want to give them a hug for what they did. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's that I can't get down with, you know, where it's like, all right. Well, but that's the thing. Those are his people. And this is what he wanted. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, I'm like, all right, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, they're terrorists. It's almost like you're like, hey, you know, I might get in a little trouble, so I want y'all to go home now. Right. I'm not encouraging this, but it's like, I'm, I'm like, if you were going to try to talk those people in there, I'm like, you're quite the coward that you weren't out there with them. Because he even said that he would be there with them. He, he said that he would march with them to the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And they were up there and then he got in his little armored vehicle and like went off to the White House to chill. Mm-hmm. He's been actually, he's been very cowardly lately. You notice, I'm like, dang, everything you do is, is you know, it's almost like they have to do a tape with you. They have to record it. You can't do anything live anymore. All his statements since this has happened have been taped. You are right. Like he has been doing that a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes you wonder why. Is he in such a shape that he can't be seen live or like what's the deal or you know people are telling him like look i want to hear this <laughs> i want to hear what you're gonna say we're gonna record it because i want to make sure it sounds okay like basically is what they're saying to him and you can do like several takes of it you can edit you can make it look decent they probably want him to record it. they're like no i don't want you messing this thing up you know go ahead and record it mm-hmm. you know and we, we're all gonna play it back and listen to it to see how it sounds and then we'll decide whether or not we're putting it out he sits there and he moves his blocks, spells out his name, you know, what the backwards are and somewhere in there and then says, OK. Donald Trump is definitely definitely holds a lot of responsibility for this as far as inciting this. It's his, this is his. I don't even know if I really want to call it a movement because it sounds, you know, that's because usually movements to me sound like somebody's actually trying to do something positive. He's basically inciting terrorism. But he's been doing that. That's nothing. There's nothing new. That's the only thing about it. It's like, that's why it's not surprising to me. It's like, this is nothing new. He's been doing that, you know, ever since the whole Fifth Avenue thing. Like, we all know this. That's why I'm like, I'm kind of a little annoyed that people are like, oh my gosh, you know, or, you know, now you have people wanting to do something. Now you want the, the, them wanting to impeach him or whatever. Talking about, let's do this. And it's like, 
I'm like, dang, I'm like, this guy has better job security than anybody I know. You know, I was like, he literally, even when y'all know he messed up big time and he's been messing up big time, y'all still don't want to remove him. Let's be real here. It would have been Obama. All he would have had to do was sneeze. What you said gets to this point that I think the reason why it's getting to the point to where now we're starting to even seriously talk about consequences, even though we're less than two weeks into the end of Trump's term. The reason why we're even talking about this is because it's not other people that are being affected anymore. We're no longer just talking about like Charlottesville, right? Okay, Charlottesville happened. This terrorist that ran over Heather Heyer and injured a bunch of other people. And then you had a bunch of white supremacists that beat up DeAndre Harris in a nearby parking lot. Oh, that's sad. But that wasn't impeachable. Trump being like both sides and many sides. And you know, here's the thing about the whole buff side. I'm all for having discussions or whatever to try to hear people hear each other out or whatever. Right. Like At the same time, like I'm thinking when you have situations where somebody blatantly is doing something like like literally like you have groups that are blatantly killing people. Let's say you're big on the Trump stuff or whatever, right? If you really feel like Trump is not about that, you should be extra. No, that person is not with us. That's the main problem with Trump. Trump doesn't do that. You know, we love you. You're very special people. He does it in a way where it's like he doesn't really mean it. He doesn't doesn't push the message home, if that's the case. It's sort of like double talk. He's saying enough to where it gives him plausible deniability. Oh, well, I wasn't really condoning them. I did tell them to go home. Or in the case of Charlottesville, right? Oh, yeah, I did condemn hate and da-da-da, right? But then when he's saying things like both sides and then inventing another violent side, which didn't even exist for Charlottesville, right? Bringing up Antifa, which it means anti-fascist, number one. And number two, in Charlottesville, the aggressors, according to all the available video and everything, the aggressors were clearly the neo-Nazis, the white supremacists that showed up to the Unite the Right rally. It's like he's double-talking enough to signal to these elements of his base that, oh, I'm with you guys. Stand back and stand by. Yeah. And he became even more and more bold with it. And I'm like, okay, all these people, you know, these members of Congress, these, even the media, right? There's been an enablement of Trump throughout these four years, right? And then it's like now... I think the reason why now it's like, oh, we can't do this anymore, right? Is because these people came close to getting to them. It's one thing to get to the people while they're safe in DC. It's another thing if they're storming the Capitol, they're going through your personal effects. They're going to your office. They're going to like the place where you go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Now you're like, oh, it's personal now. You know, yeah, now it's personal. Should have been personal. Yeah. Now it's personal. Now it's a problem. Now now Trump has done it. If the goal of the rioters was to scare Congress, they did that. But I don't think that it's going to have the effect that they want. Mm-hmm. Because it's one thing if they had gone in and they were organized. Because if they were actually organized, right, they probably could have done more damage. Now I'm not talking about like looting and stuff. I'm talking about actually like taking hostages and worse. The kind of stuff that they were talking about doing with Governor Whitmer in Michigan. Oh, yeah. I don't even understand why people feel the way they do about Whitmer. I'm grateful, you know, to have Whitmer as a governor, you know, seeing as that I'm like, oh, Whitmer actually cares about lives, you know? Like, yeah, you're, you're lucky. Here in Ohio, we have Mike DeWine and 
I mean, he was okay at first. And then I think that um, the MAGA people got to him. And then now he's just gotten saw. Let's talk about the aftermath. After this happened and they cleared the Capitol, they went on with the business of voting. There were a few representatives and senators that decided against challenging the electoral college results in swing states. And because of the events, they ended up limiting those that still wanted to challenge, ended up limiting their challenges to Arizona, which I believe they were on Arizona when the Capitol riot happened. They limited the challenge to Arizona and then to Pennsylvania. So this challenge was based on these lies. And these lies were a lot of the reason why you had the protesters that showed up and then the, and the terrorists that showed up. You mean up. the terrorists? Yeah. Well, I'm saying like, I said the protesters because there, there was like this huge group of people, right? Mm-hmm. But then it wasn't all of them that went into the Capitol. Oh, okay. Some of them were like, oh, y'all doing a little bit too much for me. So, I mean, there were protesters. And I, and I would call those people protesters because as much as I think that what they were protesting is jacked up, they have a right to do it. So the people that were protesting, as well as the terrorists that decided to storm the Capitol and commit sedition and insurrection, those people were doing that based on lies, based on these lies about fraud and about these irregularities that gave the election to Joe Biden, even though that's not true. But then the thing is, is that these senators and House reps that kept peddling these lies, knowing full well that these were false, right, knowing full well that these were lies kept going with the lies. So the core group of senators that stuck with it were Ted Cruz of Texas, Josh Hawley of Missouri, and those were the kind of the main two, the leaders of it. There's also Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi, Roger Marshall of Kansas, and Rick Scott of Florida. So that was like the core group of the senators that voted to challenge these states based on these false allegations of fraud and all that that were not true, but they still went with the big lie. And even after they saw the results of that big lie with inciting these acts of terrorism, they still went with it. Over 120 members of the House decided to go along with this as well. And I'm not going to name all 120 of those guys, right? But I will say that my house rep, Steve Shabbat, decided to challenge Pennsylvania. You know, he's a piece of garbage. I've talked about him at length. I can't stand him. He has a history of white supremacy, race baiting politics, both locally as well as in his, because uh, he defended Charlottesville, Trump's words on Charlottesville as well. You know, he's still, you know, your congressperson. Yeah, Steve Shabbat is horrible and... I, it's my it's my hope that he loses his gerrymandered seat and he goes away because he's terrible. But then regardless of the fact that they challenged these results, the results were ultimately certified. Basically, this process is over. Like, we're done with that. Biden is going to be president. Kamala Harris is going to be vice president come January 20th. That's where we're at. I thought Trump was going to be president for life. You remember when he said that? So there are calls right now to get rid of Trump by any means necessary. There are calls for Trump to resign. I don't think he will. But at the same time, there is an argument that can be made that it might actually be his best option. Because if he resigned and Mike Pence became the president, 
then Pence could go ahead and pardon him. And then you don't have to worry about a situation where Trump tries to pardon himself that could end up in the courts forever. There's also talk of the 25th Amendment, which is an amendment that allows for, like, if the president is unable to fulfill his duties of being president, then the vice president can take over. But that would only be if the vice president and I think over half the cabinet would have to approve of that. It depends on whether or not if uh, Pence and them want to do that. I'm just saying, like, that's a thing that could happen. And then there's also impeachment. Okay. Now, impeachment usually takes months. But given this situation, Congress, particularly a lot of the Democratic members of Congress, are wanting to push that through quickly. They have the apparatus to do it. It's a question of if that's going to happen. As of this recording, we only have 11 or 12 days until he's no longer president. That's not a lot of time, but at the same time, it is a lot of time considering all the power that he has. And the concern is that if he's capable of inciting a riot, inciting a terrorist attack, inciting insurrection, however you want to put that, right? If he has the capability of putting the lives of the members of Congress in danger, what else is he capable of? Mm -hmm. Of course, with Congress, like now that he's, now that the situation has got that close to them, they're like, okay, we got to get rid of him now. And then on top of that, you have, the whole world looking at us like something wrong with y'all. You have our allies looking at us like, okay, something's really wrong with y'all. And you have China looking at us like, okay, this is what happens when you have democracy. This is why we are cracking down on Hong Kong. And then on top of that, you have all these people that are within Trump's regime that are like, oh, I'm going to resign now. Oh, yeah. Like Betty DeVos. Yeah. Like Betsy DeVos, Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell's wife. You have all these people just running away like rats on a sinking ship. Where profiles encourage when it's like, no, you're not. All this stuff has been happening. Like, this is nothing new. This has already been a problem. And now you leave. Now when it's easy, you're about to lose your job in 12 days anyway. It doesn't matter. Who knows? If he, if he resigns, he might do it literally the last day. He might. Like, fine, I resign. Might try to do that to, to mess with Biden's day because tell he could resign hours before. He could. Have Pence, what Pence would be president for a couple hours. Yeah, just enough to pardon him. You know, which is crazy, you know. You think about like somebody like, I was president for about an hour. There was a recording that came out on Thursday. Donald Trump came out and he all but conceded. He acknowledged that there was a new administration that was coming in and he would no longer be president. Oh, yeah. He did say that. So he he came out with that. It almost looked like a hostage tape. I feel like they rehearsed their pride with him a few times. Like, no, don't say that. Say this. Yeah, it seemed like it was very heavily edited. And I don't know if you noticed, but it looked like he had a hard time just kind of being still. Well, he always does. He always moves his head to the side a little bit. And yeah. You never noticed that? I mean, yeah, but I, I know, like, it seems, but it seemed to be even. Cocks his head a little bit. Yeah, but it seemed even more jerky and whatever than before. It was really weird. Probably because he had to be, he had to tell the truth for him and it was hard. Yeah. But yeah, he came out and and I mean, even though he still is holding on to that lie that he <laughs> thinks that he should have been president. And that's where I took every fiber in his being. So people were like, well, maybe it's a deep fake. I think he did it because he didn't want to be deplatformed from Twitter. Oh, well, then they did it anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's another thing, too. The mainstream media, as well as social media, have enabled him. 
yes, there is Fox News. There are these other like right wing news sources like OANN and Newsmax that did a lot of damage as well, right? But even like the mainstream media, the mainstream media did not do a good enough job of calling Trump out for the fact that he kept lying, the things that he was doing, how bad they were, downplaying a lot of that. And basically, like any time that he would maybe do like a recorded speech or he would have a scripted speech where he didn't sound as unhinged. Oh, he's becoming presidential. Oh, his tone has changed, giving him legitimacy. They have blood on their hands too. Facebook and Twitter, first of all, like Twitter for allowing him to put out any kind of incitement, any kind of garbage, any kind of attack, anything that he wanted to put out there in violation of their own rules. If you and I, even his own supporters, if they were to say something like what he said, or if you or I were to say something like that, then we would get banned. We would get suspended or banned. But because he's the president and they wanted to have all these people sign up to... Hey, clown in charge. Yeah. Since it put more eyes on their platform, it got more people signed up for Twitter because people wanted to see what Donald Trump had to say. What crazy thing does he have to say now? Who is he attacking now? So because of that, then Twitter was like, oh, yeah, we'll keep him on. But at what cost? And then Facebook, not only they would platform Trump, but then the thing with Facebook was that they were the home of a lot of these groups that ended up storming the Capitol building. Mm -hmm. Zuckerberg has blood on his hands. Jack Dorsey from Twitter, blood on his hands. There's a reason why I compare it to the radicalization of young white men, a lot of times young white Christian men, to Islamic terror is the whole idea of the radicalization process. I remember when Islamic terror was on the news a lot. And you'd oftentimes hear about young men that were might have been Arab or might have been from South Asia or Middle East or whatnot. Or it could be people even from Europe or the United States. Regardless of where they were from, the idea was that these were young men that would watch videos of Osama bin Laden or some other radical Islamic leader they would get inspired or they'd find something about it that would resonate for them. And then they would become radicalized and then commit terrorist acts. The same thing is happening with right-wing terror, with domestic right-wing white supremacist terror. You see these young people, these young white people that are watching. And I mean, if first start out with, say, YouTube or 4chan or some of these other forums, and then now you're seeing it on you're seeing it on like Fox News or OANN or Newsmax. You're seeing people watch this stuff or even just straight up from Donald Trump saying something on the news, on Twitter or wherever, right? Repeating a bunch of lies, but then saying things that people want to hear. How horrible these other people that they haven't liked anyway, whether it's black people or people from Latin America or Muslims or LGBTQ plus people. Pick your group, right? And saying whatever he has to say about them that's negative and it reinforces what they already feel. And because you have this guy that's out here saying what they what they want to hear and he's willing to say it out loud and he's powerful, it radicalizes them and then they want to go out to the ends of the earth for this dude. At the end of the day, they go and they raid the Capitol building, they terrorize Congress while Trump gets in his car and drives away laughing. Mm-hmm. You know, counting his dollars that they just donated to him. Exactly. 
getting him out of debt. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. He's like, I'm I'm getting Putin his money. I think that that's something that really, even once Biden becomes president, this is something that I think we really have to talk about and we really have to deal with and we really have to reckon with is the fact that you have a huge portion, a larger portion than what a lot of folks want to admit, a portion of the U.S. population that has been radicalized. I think it was already that way. I think Trump just uncovered it and, and focused it. Only thing that I would be concerned about is that I'm like, okay, you know, like who's going to take that over? The underlying stuff, right? And I think it's specifically, I would say white supremacy is a big one. That's been an issue since the founding. Racism is the original sin of the United States. This is kind of the whole chickens coming home to roost thing, right? Our country's never fully dealt with ends up being the thing that is tearing our country apart, unraveling the country. Malcolm X even telegraphed that back in the 60s. So you have people that are willing to do these things, right? Whether it is storming the Capitol building or kidnap a governor or shoot people during a Black Lives Matter protest. You have people that are willing to commit terrorist acts. And then you have people, you have a bigger portion of the population that might not necessarily go out and do them, but they're willing to donate money. They're willing to speak on their behalf. They're willing to vote for representatives, for politicians that will sympathize with those terrorists. Then you end up creating a radical state. You end up creating a radical country. Unless as a country, we honestly take domestic terror seriously and we take white supremacy seriously and we're honest about that. You know how you hear people talk about like, this is not America. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yeah, it is definitely it. Yeah, this is America. Study your history. Mm-hmm. This is definitely America. And I think that we need to be honest about that. We can't start really tackling that issue until we're honest about what the problem is. Otherwise, things are going to get worse. And yeah, it doesn't have to be a Trump, right? Trump can ride off into the sunset. It's not just about Trump. I'm not really as much worried about Trump specifically. My concern is, like you said before, like who comes next? Somebody who may have the same ego as Trump or may have the same prejudices, the same racism, the same bigotry, the same vindictiveness, the same maliciousness as Trump, the same psychopathy as Trump, but is maybe more articulate than Trump, is more willing to see things through than Trump, is less impulsive than Trump. That's the guy that we should be concerned about. Like That's the person we should be concerned about. And I think if we don't deal with this issue, then all we're doing is basically priming our country for that next person that could do even more serious damage to this country. Mm-hmm. Folks need to stop acting shocked and go beyond like the, oh my God, I'm so shocked. This is not America, blah, blah, blah. Get beyond that. I mean, because it's like we've been doing, I mean, this has been going on for more than four years, obviously. Like Trump didn't invent any of this, right? But even if people want to be like, okay, Trump, right? Trump was president for four years. Why is this brand new? I do want to sort of end on a, I guess, semi-hopeful note. So I've talked about the fact that we need to address these issues or it could get worse. Okay. But the other piece of this, though, is that we are in a country that is changing. And when I say changing, I mean, demographically, it's changing. And I think that's why this is getting to be such a thing or why it's getting to the point where even people who have been able to ignore it before are not really able to ignore it anymore. 
is because as a country, our demographics are changing. We're increasingly becoming less and less white Anglo Protestant. And you're having different groups of people that are inhabiting this country and are living in this country and are going to want to participate in this country. And obviously, not all of the people of color are going to vote for Democrats or anything like that. That's not the point I'm trying to make. Okay. If you're having trouble deciding to vote for me or for Trump, you're not black. Yeah, that was not Biden's finest moment. And I've talked about this on my podcast, too. I think that both parties have, in different ways, both parties have some things that they need to deal with. Even though I think the Republicans have enabled Trump, I think in terms of the larger issue of like white supremacy and racial inequalities and other types of inequalities, I think that there's been culpability on both sides of the aisle. So the Republicans are fighting really hard, even though like, I mean, there are people of color who vote for Republicans. The Republicans have marketed themselves essentially as a white evangelical Christian grievance party. Their share of the population is getting smaller and they're looking to leave democracy in a sense, leave democracy behind because even with the Electoral College, they're finding out that they can only be competitive for so long, at least with the platform that they choose to run with. Unless they become more inclusive, they are going to remain a minority unless they continue to try to change the rules to basically try to cement minority rule. I think it's important to note this, that by 2045, white Americans will no longer be the numerical majority. So whether they like it or not, you know, and and I'm not saying all white people feel this way, but there are subsets of the white population that are against the diversifying of this country. But there will come a time that white Americans will no longer be in a majority. And that time is coming very quickly. And we're starting to see a little bit of that as we're seeing the thing about Biden's win is that you're seeing states that were not competitive before become competitive. You have Arizona that was a hardcore Republican state and was so for a long time that flipped for Biden. And on top of that, I believe now like both of their senators are Democrats. They're a little bit more on the conservative side, but they're still, you know, but they're Democrats. And the reason why is in Arizona, they have a high Latino population. I mean, Latinos are a group of voters that are kind of made of a bunch of different groups. And so some of them are more likely to vote Democrat. Some of them are more likely to vote Republican. But in Arizona, the ones that were there were more likely to vote Democrat. And so Arizona is now a swing state. Georgia is a swing state. I mean, and Georgia's always had a large black population. And then here's the thing with Georgia in particular, right? If you lose an election that you feel like you should have won, what could you do about that, right? So you had Donald Trump out here whining about and then basically making his party lose. But then you have Stacey Abrams, who a couple of years ago lost against Brian Kemp, who was the secretary of state in Georgia at the time running his own election, which is a total conflict of interest. And so she narrowly lost that election, right? And she could have focused on that forever. But what she did was she got together with other activists in Georgia and did the work to get more black voters, um, Democratic leaning Latino voters, other groups, I believe, some Asians as well. 
getting all these different groups of people registered that maybe hadn't been hadn't been registered before and getting them out to vote. Yes, she may not be governor, but you know what? There are two Democratic senators that are about to go to Congress. Mm -hmm. The first black senator and then the first Jewish senator. Yeah, I heard about that. There's something to be said for that. What do you do when you're defeated? For those of us that are looking at everything that's happening, it's like, oh my gosh, like what's going on and so on and so forth. The storm of the Capitol building was horrible, right? And the rise of white supremacy is horrible. But at the same time, there are good things. And even in the midst of all these jacked up things, there are things that we can do to make things better. I just hope that our takeaway is that we can be more like Stacey Abrams and not at all like Donald Trump. <laughs> I don't know why you'd say such a thing. I'm the best. Thanks, Evie, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it as well. Thank you very much for listening to Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Prime, or on your favorite podcast app. Go to potstirerpodcast.com slash download and you'll see the links. Subscribing gets you new episodes once they come out so you don't have to wait. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give it five stars and leave a review. And unlike Donald Trump, I am still on Twitter. So follow me there at PotstirerCast. I'll be back. <laughs> I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free.